Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The SCP Foundation, Part 2. What is the SCP Foundation? Well, it's a connected series of user-generated short internet horror fiction stories that started on 4chan before migrating to its own massive, constantly evolving wiki page. It's about a shadowy, government-adjacent organization dedicated to finding, containing, and transporting paranormal entities to an underground black site facility where they are all cataloged. The stories are told in the format of notes written by the organization members who observe the creatures through these cold, impersonal journal entries, a gigantic world of cosmic horror slowly unfolds. It's an example of the power of global creative collaboration, decentralized and open source storytelling, and it also slowly willed itself into existence and spawned a series of massively popular video games, books, and movies. Today, we'll be doing the definitive deep dive on the creation, rise in popularity, and cultural impact of one of the strangest and most entertaining group projects of all time. Act 5. Thank God and Video Games. You may have forgotten SCP-173 with all the goings-on in the story since it got posted, but that humble old neck-snapping statue ushered in the first age of the SCP Foundation, and it did the same for the next one. 2011 was a quiet year for the Foundation. Changes to the deletion policy, someone getting in trouble over plagiarized art, and conflict between new users and old ones. The systems were in place. Staff changed them when it was clear they weren't working, and everything moved forward. 2012 was something else entirely. On March 6, 2012, a site user brought up the production of a new SCP fan game by Finnish independent game developer Junus Rikkonen, SCP Containment Breach. In Containment Breach, the player controlled a D-Class Foundation grunt trying to survive SCP-173 after it escaped containment. It had a timer that tracked when the player character needed a blink, and 173 only moved when the player couldn't see it. The player would need to explore a procedurally generated Foundation facility scavenging for useful items and evading SCP-173 and other escaped SCPs. Containment Breach was actually a follow-up to a previous game by the developer, Haversign, SCP-087. Based on the SCP of the same designation, SCP-087 had the player explore a seemingly endless dark stairwell looking for the ground floor. So we're going we're gonna to look at some footage, some footage... From this, the this uh, indie developed, uh, well, two indie developed SCP games. First is this SCP-087. So this is SCP-087. There's not like a whole lot to this. It's it's not anything crazy. Um, if you've ever played like Amnesia or any of those games, it seems very similar to Amnesia, um, or even like the. It almost looks identical to the Slenderman game, or I guess it's called Slender. Um, as a matter of fact, when this this came out, this came out 2012. Yeah, I guarantee this was just directly a clone of Slender. Um, Slender came out around 2012, I think. Um, if my if my timelines are matched up, so this just seems like a like a a, a Slender clone. So you're walking through a it's a first person perspective game. You're walking through a dark, scary staircase. And I'm assuming that at some point you run into a spooky monster. 
which is SCP-087. Um, yeah, the, the interesting thing about this is that it seems uh, very monotonous and that you're walking basically down the same staircase and the light is, you, you've got like a headlamp on your mask or whatever. And so it's only lighting like about a two and a half foot radius in front of you. And, uh, you know, video game cameras have a very specific style of movement that isn't necessarily like super lifelike. And uh, part of me thinks this is really cool and like fun and experimental and like, oh man, yeah, I can see why you would totally be getting into this. And every time you're going down the same hallway, you would still be getting freaked out because it's like, oh, is there going to be something down here now? And another part of me is like, this is fucking boring, man. This is like a fucking... It's just a staircase. Well, here's the thing about... Here's the thing about these amnesia clones or slender clones. I kind of I kind of think slender it, in and of itself is an, is an amnesia clone. Is like... You're, you're right that like... I mean, and maybe somebody disagrees with me. Maybe somebody fucking loves amnesia or loves slender and it was like the greatest gameplay experience they've ever had. But as games that you play... I think they are kind of boring and monotonous, and it's just one, it's just kind of like a one-trick pony. It's kind of the same thing with Five Nights at Freddy's. Like, Five Nights at Freddy's is just... It's just got one mechanic, which is like, look at these security cameras, track the animatronic characters, and make sure that they don't come and kill you. Like, that's just literally what the game is. And yet there's five sequels and, like, a comic book series, and they're making a movie starring fucking who was it I, I forget Arnold some, Schwarzenegger Arnold Schwarzenegger but yeah no, there's there's a movie they're making and it's got some stars in it um, but the, the, these games are incredibly monotonous and I don't think particularly interesting as actual playable games but and I think this is massively true for Amnesia and the reason why it's been replicated they're they're like amazing for live streaming specifically it's not even the gameplay experience but it's the live stream experience because watching this footage right now is not interesting it's literally just a person walking down an endless staircase where you can can't really see anything and it's spooky but live streamers specifically will like ratchet up this tension and be like oh god what was uh, what was that noise what was that noise and because of that specifically, these games become massively popular specifically as games to stream. And the str- and the streaming of them turns around and makes the actual game popular with people to play because it's become popular in the streaming world. Is there an equivalent is there an equivalent like that of movies, like TV shows that are kind of boring? and nobody really likes but there's like one like no way moment and people film themselves no waying and then that makes the show popular is there a version of, I'm, I'm sure there is right like act like reaction videos on yeah the like is there a show that like I'm just trying to think of that's because because that, I was about to say oh that's that's interesting because it's kind of like something that's really specifically unique to video games where the underlying game has a cultural import not due to the quality of the game but due to um, it being a vehicle for personality? I mean, there probably is something more fitting to what you're saying, but the first thing that comes to my mind right now is just, like, the Drew Barrymore show. Like, who the fuck watches the Drew Barrymore show, but they specifically, like, pick out little moments where it's like, 
Drew Barrymore tears up uh, talking to Jennifer Aniston about the struggles of being a celebrity. And then it's like a 30 second clip of her crying. And then that goes like viral on the internet. Hmm. Yeah. But even that's like a little different because it's, it's still inside the show. Like, I'm just curious if there is, cause like they're, you know, watching trailer reactions and, you know, TikTokers like soups or whoever who are to me really annoying but have these giant followings of people who are like I gotta see soups react to the new fucking Star Wars show fucking soups I wish I wish soups just actually reviewed soups <laughs> that, that, I, would, I would love that I turn on soups I'm like I'm about to find out how the quality of a nice clam chowder and then he's just like he's just like talking about fucking Black Adam or some shit like who gives a shit about this but but that's the but that's the idea, right? Is that like soups or or straw hat goofy or any of these kind of like film TikTokers? Like they're never, even though they have millions of followers, they're never bigger than Star Wars or Black Adam, where you know they're not driving people to go watch Black Adam in a significant number, where they're propping up, you know, the Batman's success because like the Batman isn't a great movie, but everybody watched the clip of insert tiktoker or viral celebrity reacting to it like i'm just i'm it makes sense why that's a thing that's endemic to gaming because it's so much more of an experiential thing but well i have i have a i have a hunch or a hypothesis of something that might be what you're talking about while although i don't know if i'm right and maybe many people would disagree with me and by the way as we're talking we're literally we're still just walking down a staircase that's just we've been going for seven minutes of just walking down a staircase this is like this is the most like this is the most like featureless non-mechanical game ever yeah I, this I would not be playing this game um but but you know that there's live streams where like this they're just like faintly they're you know they're 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 hamming up the tension and acting like they're super scared and it has a ton of views. I think maybe something like that, and this is my own personal hunch. I was actually just thinking about this the other day. There's like this huge contingent of people who I think in bad faith pretend like they love the Zack Snyder DC movies and like the Star Wars prequels and that fucking Avatar movie and the new Avatar movie that's come that just came out specifically because it's like anti-woke to to love those movies like there there's because like the Star Wars movies are thought of as these like woke bullshit movies by a certain amount of people and because like people think that like the Marvel movies are woke and all this stuff people love or have this wear this personality where they love the Snyderverse movies and Avatar and shit as like a contrarian political stance against like the wokeness of Hollywood and I don't think these people actually genuinely like these movies I think that they just it's just like a weird political stance to be a fan of them and so they talk they make videos on YouTube and TikTok 
and they drone on and on about the Snyderverse movies, and they talk about how James Gunn is going to ruin the DC universe, and they should put Zack Snyder in charge, and blah, 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 blah. And the the point of it is the content and the political statement it it is to say these things. And I don't actually think anybody really genuinely enjoys these movies. Like, it's so bizarre to me that there has been this, like, second renaissance of Avatar where everybody's talking about how Avatar is such a great franchise and they're so hyped for part two. That movie sucks. Like, I know that's subjective to say and, like, you, there's no accounting for taste, but the movie Avatar, aside from the groundbreaking 3D technology that it, that it uh, encapsulated was like the most bland, nothing movie of all time. It was just like, we are a Native American metaphor, and these are colonial metaphors, and they are coming in and stealing our land, but then there is one white man who helps us to protect ourselves from them. It's just, it's like, it's fucking Dances with Wolves and Pocahontas and Ferngully mixed together. And for some reason, people are just like, that movie was fucking great. I think that's, I think that's kind of what you're talking about. It's a, it's a political stance to like those movies and they make content around it, but nobody actually likes those movies. I could also see, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, still a staircase, still, 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 still fucking staircase. Nothing has happened. There isn't even like a little pop up, like jump scare monster. No, this is bullshit. Uh, we can move on from this now. But the only the final point on the like streaming stuff equivalent of like movies being a a personality vehicle or something is maybe something like the red letter media guys half in the bag or um, best of the worst, where you're watching you're watching them watch a shitty movie from the '80s and then they talk about the movie. And yeah, the movies are kind of there to be exposed to a wider audience and people like to go watch, you know, fucking blood debts or whatever. Um, but mm, trick or treat or what have you, but let's be real. The video that those guys upload that has a million views on it is a 998,000 more views than most of those movies have received in the last 30 years. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think you're right. I definitely think that's another example of it. Yeah, but which is interesting because they're they're kind of like the only people I can think of that are that well known for doing that. Like there are other people who stream shitty movies, but it, they're like kind of usually preaching to the choir of just like people who like weird shitty movies, like you and me. Yeah, and rift and rift tracks and rift tracks slash mystery science theater three thousand is like you watch the entire movie, so it, the movie is kind of part of it. Yeah, yeah, and I still feel like. Yeah, actually, but you know what, though? Rift Tracks or Mysteries MST3K, that's, I feel like that's adjacent. It might be a little bit different, but that's a good point. I, I had not thought about that because you're going to it for MST3K, not, you know, the mushroom people of Santa Claus Island or whatever the fuck it is. Um, yes, I, I think that is absolutely true and a, and a less controversial example than mine because I think there's probably many people who are just like, no, man. I fucking love Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. I I genuinely think that was a good movie. Yeah, they definitely exist. 
uh oh this is this so that maybe we should have watched this because this is this, we won't watch it now because we just fucking sat through that seven minute video but the second video was actually a let's play of that so it was what i was talking about it's a streamer playing this game and talking uh that might have been a better what video to watch but we won't watch it now but what what i wanted to say about that is despite the fact and i even i was i was cold reacting to that i hadn't watched that video yet um so that was my that was the first time I saw how incredibly boring and uneventful that game was. However, my point still stands that regardless of how monotonous and and uneventful that game was, it's absolutely crazy to me and really cool that a handful of people just started writing like short horror stories on a wiki page. And it grew to the point where somebody made a video game about it. Yeah, it's wild. And that's only just the first one. I mean, that's just the first fan game that had ever ever been made about it. There's many other games, uh, many other indie games that I'm sure are much better uh, than that that came after that. And there's even some actual studio, you know, double A titles that have been made based on SCP, which we'll we'll get into later. And that's crazy to me. That's 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 crazy to me that like it wasn't like, oh, I, I wrote a book and got it published and then it spawned a franchise or, oh, I, you know, wrote a screenplay and it was made into a movie that spawned a franchise. It's just like a bunch uh, like like 20 people who just like wrote little short stories with absolutely no copyright involved, no publishing involved. And it spawned a franchise that that yielded video games and books. The game gained some traction and it inspired Junus Rikkonen to make his own expanded version, SCP-087-B. Instead of just a stairwell, thankfully, the B version also featured hallways and multiple monsters instead of a single one that lurked at the bottom of the original version's stairwell. In an early version of the game, the player could encounter a monster with a black silhouette, body and face of Finnish rapper MC Koo who would say and finish, I've even got a band of my own, Resis Posse, before killing the player. But Rikkonen changed this when the game started getting popular outside of Finland. SCP-087-B became extremely popular on YouTube, with YouTubers like Markiplier and PewDiePie playing it on videos that got millions of views, putting it firmly in the same category of horror games turned popular Let's Plays like Amnesia and Five Nights at Freddy's. Let's watch a quick couple of minutes of a of a an actual real popular streamer playing this game just so we can see if watching a streamer who's very popular i mean this video has 6.3 million views and this is a this is a hugely popular streamer markiplier uh, 34 million subscribers um let's see a few minutes of this and see if see if we can understand the appeal of why what we just witnessed could become a video with 6 million views it's not not better if you guys are here it's just not it's not good somehow it's just not it's not better uh how about you turn down your volume Twenty! Twenty! Turn around! Why? Upside down, I can't... <laughs> this might be the least audio-friendly thing we've done. What do I do? The context is just that he's playing the game and just... It's literally exactly what I said. 
he's just hamming up being super scared and stressed out. That's that's the that's the appeal of it. It's like it's two hours of just nothing, but he's just fucking going to town on like acting like he's scared. And it has six million views because of that, which is very fascinating. And and I think I think the the fact that the game is uneventful, like I was saying before, is kind of it's a feature, not a bug. With a large amount of positive feedback, Junis set out to make a new, more elaborate SCP horror game. This was Containment Breach and it blew up even harder. For a brief time, it was the YouTube horror game. Once again, this is partly due to PewDiePie and Markiplier, who currently has 67 SCP Containment Breach videos with millions of views each. The other factor for its popularity was that it was a free download, meaning kids didn't have to get their parents' approval before playing the scary game their favorite YouTuber showed off. So let's let's look at a little bit of uh, Containment Breach and see if this is this game is more than a stairway. I mean, honestly, stairways are pretty scary. Whenever, whenever I was a kid, uh, one time my 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 brother got through the little baby gate and fell down the stairs. That was pretty scary. And then one time, my mom was walking down the same stairs carrying a load of laundry, and she slipped and broke her back. Oof. So, I mean, stairways are terrifying to me. It's a stairway to heaven. I hope that's just playing in the back of this Let's Play. Yes. It's like, oh yeah, the budget the budget for this game was uh uh $250,000. Uh we actually made the game for free, but we had to pay $250,000 to get the rights to Stairway to Heaven. It's just that same game, but we just put Stairway to Heaven playing in it. Yeah. Stairway to Heaven. I don't know any of the other I don't like that type of music. I have no idea what else that is in that song other than that. You don't like that type of music? You don't like classic bangers? <laughs> Are you a big Led Zeppelin person? Yeah, I mean, it's not my not my favorite band in the world, but for sure, I I get the lead out. Would you say that you're a, a lead sharpener? Yes, although technically graphite hasn't been lead since the seventies. Um, yeah, so that game is uh, is kind of just the same thing. You're just walking through hallways and stuff. <laughs> really wasn't a lot going on there. Um, but let's see. I don't really want to watch a PewDiePie video because he annoys me immensely. So I think Markiplier is a little less annoying. Yeah, he, he has less instances of publicly saying the N-word, I believe. Yes. I, I, as far as I know, he has never said the N-word publicly. Yeah, so in this one, he's being chased by SCP-173, the statue thing. I want to get to a place where we actually see this happening. A, a lot of people suggested this game to me. <laughs> nope! That's a good thing, I suppose. You walk into this little containment unit, and SCP-173 is in there, standing against the wall like he was in the photo. <laughs> yeah, and then and then whenever you look away, it's able to move and it kills people. Yeah, it's just it's just it's it's just an amnesia clone. Like these games are all the same. It's first-person shooter, walking around creepy hallways, and then like sound design that's meant to make you scared and then something jumps out at you. That's just what these games all are. This caused another huge influx of users on the wiki, one that dwarfed the boost having a TV Tropes page gave. The wiki moved from having 50 new applicants a month to 50 a day, which swamped the site's staff. The last SCP video game project of 2012 was an SCP Foundation-themed Minecraft mod inspired by Containment Breach. It mattered for two reasons. One, Minecraft and the SCP Foundation would continue to intersect into the present. Two, 
The creator of the mod claimed to hold copyright over all the mod's content, which the SCP Foundation considered to mean they claimed copyright over the SCP Foundation. Staff contacted the mod's developers and worked this out, but combined with other fan projects, it led to the creation of the SCP Licensing Guide, which allowed people to create more SCP projects outside the wiki. One caveat in the SCP Wiki's licensing rule is that the design of SCP-173 is not under the Creative Commons license like the rest of the SCP Wiki's contents. Izumi Kato, creator of the statue used for the original image, allowed the SCP Wiki to use it for non-commercial purposes after negotiations with the Wiki staff. But Mr. Kato has not released its likeness under the Creative Commons license version 3.0, which is used by the SCP Foundation. Thus, the original photo no longer appears on the SCP Wiki, and there is currently a contest to redesign SCP-173 underway. So I talked about this in the last episode, but the picture used for the first SCP made... Not SCP-1, but the first SCP-made SCP-173, the statue where if you look away from it, it kills you like the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who. It was just a photo that a Japanese artist took of their sculpture that was used and recontextualized into a story. The complication of that being that when they started making video games and writing books and all this shit, you're using this this guy's copyrighted artwork that actually has nothing to do with your project. So they had to make a new drawing of – or a, a new design for SCP-173. And we're going to look through some of the better and worst ones in this massive list of all of these uh, attempts at drawing a new SCP-173. Um, spoiler alert. I don't think they ever were able to capture the creepiness of the original photo, but we're going to look at these and uh, Dave, what, what do you, let, let's take a look at these and see what you think about some of these. All right. So this, this first one is created by Dr. Whitney five. It is a similar uh, location. It's a photo and Photoshop kit bash. Um, it's a photo bash basically showing a window, a dilapidated, you know, brick wall with white coat of paint and then they've photoshopped a creature over it. Uh, and it looks pretty cool. It's a weird, I don't know that it captures the same vibe as that initial um, statue does, but I like how otherworldly it is. Basically, it's a, it's almost like a trash bag with tentacles growing out of it and a large porous stone head that looks like it's got sores and or peanut shell markings all over, almost kind of honeycomb shell. Um, very alien, very otherworldly. I like this for a design for an SCP, but I don't know that I think it's SCP-173. Like, this doesn't look like a statue that comes to life and kills you. This looks like some otherworldly bacteria or creature. Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree. Next up... Or did you want to say something? No, no, I was that I was going to go to the next one. Next up, we have a submission by Tennis Face Draws, which is it's a little hard to tell from the way that this artwork is done. It's a two dimensional drawing colored in Photoshop, um, but I'm going to assume good faith and say that it is a drawing of a statue, not a drawing of a person. I think it's supposed to probably be a statue. So the creature in question is a fairly standard human anatomy uh standing with its head cocked and it 
its legs slightly akimbo, um, and its head basically is a skull, a skull face. And the thing that differentiates it from being just a standard human is that its arms have been submerged into its chest cavity as if almost suffering from some sort of birth defect where its arm, it was born with its arms crossed um, across its pelvis and its, yeah, it's hands. Got like, its arms are like web, it's got like webbed, a webbed skin connection between like the its forearms and its torso, basically. Um, I like the idea of this design, um, but again, I don't think it because it's a drawing and it's not clear if it's a statue or a actual monster that just looks like that. I don't think it's as communicative. I don't think it's I don't think it's the right vibe. Yeah, definitely not. And also, it's like even I'm not a huge fan of this the artwork itself. But it's a, it's more of a scary, creepy monster kind of design. And I think that the massive appeal of the type of thing that the original SCP-173 photo kind of conveyed was this idea of like this sort of like almost childlike, innocent looking thing that has some kind of ephemerally creepy aspect to it that you can't quite put your finger on. And then the idea of this almost innocent looking childlike thing fucking murdering you is is what's appealing about it and the dichotomy of like his whole shtick is that as a statue he strangles you but his arms aren't long enough to really even seem like they come together yeah yeah it's got stubby disproportionate uh anatomy that gives it like a kind of like almost like a chibi like childlike look which is creepy always creepy um, what about this next one? This uh, this artwork is by Oh Yeah Juice. Um, I am not a fan of... I, I mean, the drawing is fine. It's cool, whatever. I'm not saying that. But I'm not a fan of the idea of this, which is that the statue is almost more like a voodoo doll. Um, so it's a anthropomorphic doll that's obviously some sort of like flocked fur or uh, muslin uh, material. Uh, and it looks vaguely reminiscent of the existing statue, the, the original photo, um, but just kind of voodoo dolled esque. Um, and uh, yeah, that doesn't feel like the right direction to me either. That doesn't feel otherworldly enough. And also, the whole thing is that it's made of concrete and rebar. You know, like I, yeah, not I'm not digging this one. Yeah, I I agree. I don't think it's the right vibe for this. I I do kind of like the actual drawing because it it kind of reminds me of old school early 2000s newgrounds flash animations which is just like you can get me with that every single time uh but yeah as as this i don't think it's good uh what about this this next one so this one is done by the volgan and it is a piece of cg artwork uh rendered to look like a photograph with then a, a kind of like almost um, diffused VHS grain or diffused filmic uh, grain put over the top of the CG rendering. Uh, the actual CP-173 itself is um, more like an obelisk, like something out of uh, 2001, where the body of it is just a large um, cylindrical or cylindrical-esque cone shape. And then there is a, a rod, like a rebar rod, and then a giant circle, like a stone circle. And out of the center of the stone circle, a human arm is protruding, and it's holding and strangling a, an SCP worker. 
Um, this so far, this one's my favorite. I really like this. I think this is creepy. It's otherworldly. Um, makes it feel more kind of like some sort of piece of a totemic religion where people used to worship this this idol, this false god of some for some reason, and it has now gained sentience in some way. Um, yeah, I, I like this a lot. What do you think? Yes, I, I agree. Uh, it's funny that our opinions pretty much match up exactly on these because I think that this one, it it has the quality that I'm talking about where it's not supposed to be like a scary looking statue. It's not supposed to be creepy looking in like a traditional sense. It's not supposed to look like a monster. It's got the like basic childlike design and features of it that that make it creepy uh through the sort of dichotomy of what it looks like versus what it's capable of doing yeah it has the quality it's not quite as good as the original one but it has that quality and and, and it, it kind of reminds me of the fucking weird little girl statue from squid game where it's like that that quality of like a creepy childlike looking thing that's like expressionless face you, you, you fill in the blanks with your own imagination of how horrifying it is, essentially, versus a scarier thing where you're just like, oh, it's just it's supposed to be that amount of scary. They've dialed in the amount of scary this is supposed to be, and they've either, either failed or succeeded at that. But no matter what, it can never match what you can build up in your mind with a very basic, expressionless, uh, non-detailed thing, you know, the whole the whole, you know, uh, uh the simpler, the more it, you're able to imprint your own ideas onto it. So the final entry is, it looks like a mixture between a worm and a and an old used cigarette. Um, it is a weird double-headed, almost insectoid creature that appears to be made out of some sort of stone with um, stone arms coming out of it and then hair growing, like little wispy hairs growing out of the stone structure and it's siphoning blood um at the bottom again this is really good like this is a photoshopped illustration but this is really cool looking the only problem is it's not scp-173 yeah it's probably the best like in terms of just like a piece of like an illustration or a digital painting or a, a cgi rendering or whatever this actually is i can't fully tell um but yeah it's yeah it's not it's w- once again it's just a creepy looking thing that I don't think matches what this is supposed to be. Yeah, it's really, really good. Just the wrong, the wrong type of good. So so I, I guess ultimately, do you think that they were able to recreate the quality of the original SCP-173? I mean, it's just it's just an impossible feat. Like you're, you're just trying to it's just not going to happen. It's just, it's just a different thing. But I do like this idea of this weird obelisk and with a hand coming out of a circle stone. I think it's really cool. Um, and I think the fact that the stone is like eight feet in the air and the arm is just like a normal sized arm. So it physically can't reach down far enough to strangle people provides a similar level of, well, that doesn't really work in the same way that the original sculpture had tiny baby arms. And well, that doesn't really, his whole thing is he strangles people, but he can't. There's no way, like that, that tension is what you want from this. And I think that's there, you know, it's cool. I like it. Um, but it's just a different thing. It's its own thing. Um, but at least it's in the right ballpark, not these other guys who are just like, but what if it was a fucking spider worm penis? Really quick, before we move on, I took the description of SCP-173 and I plugged it into Mid Journey, and this is what it created. I just took the literal description of it. 
I think it took the idea of it being a statue made of concrete just in a whole other wrong direction. But what 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 do, what do some of these look like, Dave? There's four options because Midjourney produces four variants when you put in a prompt. So there's four there's four options. Each one of them has a box shape to it, which is kind of interesting. The first one appears to be it's basically like a rusted old radiator box with a sculpture of a skull on the front. The second one is I can't even tell what that is. Some sort of metal siding on some sort of bridge or something. And it also has a large face-esque sculpture on the front of it, but it's not a skull really. It's like, it almost looks like the back of the Rocketeer's rocket with like eye holes on it. And then underneath it, it just says SS and then a not letter that's like rusted onto the sheet metal. The third one is a giant like public works sculpture where the torso is, it looks to be about, I don't know, maybe 15 feet tall. The torso is a large man's chest in a business suit. The head appears to be the head of an old time radio. And then it has long cylindrical arms, kind of almost like the back of the design of the Joe Quesada iron spider costume from Civil War, where there's like they're just like weird spindly spider legs that are attached to his back. He's got one, two, three, four, five weird spindly legs coming out of his back. Um, and then the final one appears to be some sort of yellow newspaper box that, you know, you would like find on the street. And it has a, it has the similar skull to the first option um, emblazoned on the front, like sculpted onto the front. And, and it has S33 tagged on the front of it and it's rusted and looks to be sitting in some sort of abandoned field. Yeah, so do you, do you think that the AI was able to accurately create the new perfect SCP-173? That's going to be a negative Ghost Rider negative. Yeah, this didn't even come close to anything that that I that I anticipated or hoped would happen. Like when I plugged it in, I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm sure it won't produce like anything good." But it, I at least thought it would produce something that looked kind of like a monster and not just like weird boxes <laughs> made of metal. The SCP Foundation grew quickly in the early years. A massive boost in popularity seemed to show up every other year, but that slowed down after 2012. The SCP Foundation's next big boost wouldn't come for several years, and as always, there would be complications. <laughs> Act 6. Into the present, kicking and screaming and navigating today's social issues in kind of a clumsy way. We live in the age of mass communication. It means ideas can spread, and they can spread past national boundaries. There are currently 12 foreign language SCP wikis recognized by the original one, and four more in development. These wikis host translations of English SCPs and original entries in their language, the earliest dating back to 2010 with the Russian SCP wiki SCP Ru. The staff on this project was very small, with only three active members running the project sometimes. Interestingly, it had many of the same problems as the English SCP wiki, such as vandalism, the need to develop site rules as it went along, and having to ban one of their most prolific authors due to a major disagreement with other users in a debacle the site avoids talking about. Apparently, he responded negatively to criticism of a group of interest he invented. The site's other problems were more idiosyncratic. Trying to find a way to get rid of the lingerie ads in their wiki and someone trademarking the SCP logo. This is a recent development. 
Audrey Duskin is a Russian man who developed an art book based on the SCP Foundation called Art SCP back in 2015. In 2017, he announced that a film company had approached him and offered to make a movie series based on the SCP Foundation, and he offered SCP Rue's senior staff the opportunity to create a uniform SCP canon to be used as the basis for the script he would present to the company. Duskin said he would make sure he was the only point of contact between SCP Rue and the film studio to ensure that there was no possibility of the SCP Wiki committing fraud. He offered a 50-50 deal between himself and SCP Rue if he successfully sold the script, but the Wiki staff would be given a lump sum and had to divide the funds themselves. During these negotiations, the Russian SCP Wiki made it clear that they wanted any SCP films they helped create to be available for free through a legal channel. They received no further word on the project. In 2018, a company called Geek Funko 3 sent a message to SCP Rue that their sale of SCP-themed merchandise had been threatened with legal action by an anonymous individual claiming to own the trademark to the SCP Foundation. Some users joked it was Audrey Duskin. It was Audrey Duskin. He had registered his trademark of the SCP Foundation with the Russian Federal Service for Intellectual Property in 2017, and by 2018, it was valid in all Eurasian Customs Union countries. He hadn't told SCP Rue. Here is a translation of his explanation to SCP Rue when a representative asked him about this. And before we, before we read this real quick, just to just to recap or clarify, there is a Russian chapter of the SCP Wiki that just translates existing SCPs written in English and also wrote, writes their own. Like all of these SCPs, they sell merch through the site. SCP itself is a completely open source uh, um, concept. That's in the Creative Commons, which means which means that anybody can play in the world, write stories, publish books, so on and so forth, um, just by utilizing this Creative Commons license. Which the Creative Commons license range from version to version, but it usually includes just like crediting the original creator. In this case, the author of the stories that you use. That's usually what a Creative Commons license entails. This dude published his own coffee table book of artwork that's inspired by SCP. And then, at least according to him, a Russian film production company approaches him about making a movie based on his book, um, which in effect was just artwork inspired by SCP. He then trademarked the SCP logo and the SCP name as if it was original creations that he had made with his book and then turned around and sent a cease and desist letter to the Russian SCP wiki telling them that they could no longer sell merchandise with SCP IP on it because he owned the copyright to SCP in Europe. That's what happened here. A very reasonable thing to do. And now we're going to read his justification for what he did. As for the trademark holder request, I'll explain that now. Given that I'm putting a lot of money into promoting the universe and creating media content, arts, books, tabletop games, etc., I had to make sure no one shifty enough jumps in and profits on the PR I'm making. Because in that case, I'm losing the resource to get my own investments back. So I have 100,000 more ruples, approximately $1,400, and registered a trademark valid in Russia and Eurasian Customs Union. This doesn't matter in the community at all because I've always supported the community's decision, the words and actions that you, Gene R, Eviv, Blackbird5154, Mertenaum, and the rest make. But I'll be a problem for all them randos. I've contacted those guys and offered to coordinate our actions. They told me to fuck off. In turn, I contacted VK.com admins and kicked that group out of VK. 
Next thing, those guys started threatening me. Now, knowing where they placed their request, I'll find out the customs and we'll file a report to the procuracy. Those guys seem to be real frauds. For real, the customers should be sought and a collective police report should be filed. So this is like a very small scale version of the of the Ultraman in Thailand thing, but even more shady because even at least in that situation, like they had a, a licensing deal to make a Ultraman, one Ultraman movie in Thailand. And then they tried to use that to like pretend like they had like IP rights to Ultraman in perpetuity in Thailand. Whereas this is just literally a dude who like made some fan art and then pretended like the fan art was the original thing and then copyrighted it and then tried to claim ownership of the entire universe of this fucking thing. Duskin seemed to think that he had a special link to SCP Rue that made him more legitimate than other people selling SCP merch, despite the fact that it was wiki policy not to interfere with third-party vendors unless they claimed ownership of any part of the SCP Foundation's intellectual property. Duskin claimed he filed the trademark to help him make SCP films and video games, as well as to secure the cooperation of major Russian book publisher Exmo. Though in 2019, he claimed to have made his own publishing house specifically for art SCP. His trademark also gave him the rights to downloadable electronic releases, which theoretically allowed him to claim ownership of SCP Rue itself. This never came up because his main activity was trying to get cut of sales from all Russian SCP merch vendors and threatening them with legal action if they didn't comply. When Fear Phantom, the creator of the SCP fandom box community on the Russian social media platform VK, told Andrew that CCBYSA 3.0, the Creative Commons License 3.0, was the official license for the SCP Foundation across the world, this was Andrew's response, according to a direct message chain shared to SCP Rue by Fear Phantom. We're living in Russia. Rules are a bit different here. So you'll be telling tales about Creative Commons to your cellmates in the detention center. Fun guys they are. I'm growing weary of this exchange. Channels closed. When Russian YouTube channel SCP Protocols released a video criticizing Duskin for attempting to trademark the SCP Foundation, which included a line implying Duskin should take his trademark documentation and shove it up his ass, Duskin responded by claiming SCP Protocols had been paid by Geek Funko to slander him. He claimed the proof of this was that the channel had promoted Geek Funko merchandise. The international SCP community has raised $164,000 in a GoFundMe campaign to pay SCP Rue's legal fees. At the time of this episode, Russian courts have ruled that Duxin did not create the SCP Foundation or its logo and never gained ownership of it, and that his business practices may produce an illegitimate monopoly. His trademark still stood as of 2021, though, and the proceedings appeared to be unresolved. Given Russia's current war footing and uncertain future, the case may remain in progress for a very long time. In 2018, while the Russian Foundation's legal battle was just getting started, the English SCP Wiki was hitting something of a low. In June of that year, staff on the SCP Wiki decided to commemorate Pride Month by changing the SCP logo on the Wiki to a rainbow version for the whole month. Some people took issue with this. People were angry for two reasons. The first was the most obvious, pushback against increased visible gay presence. The second was that the site broke kayfabe. The SCP Wiki was nominally supposed to look like the site of the fictional SCP Foundation. Either the site was no longer holding this up, or the organization that constantly modifies people's memories casually kills people for the purpose of research and puts anything it doesn't consider normal in secret holding facilities celebrates pride month which actually i think that's perfectly valid because that's what real companies do in real life these companies they're all horrible evil conglomerations that do awful things behind the scenes and then every pride month they're like 
rainbow logo of Chiquita banana walk, you know, like that's that's real. That's that's literally what the SCP Foundation would do. They would be like rainbow logo as they're like dragging super powered people out of sovereign nations in, into helicoptered black sites and uh, putting guns in their mouths and then being like, where are your allegiances lie? Are you a part of the weird fucking Cthulhu invasion? Also, uh, you know, but, you know, you don't have to tell us your sexual preferences, but if you're, uh, you know, in a little in a little smooching, we got these complimentary uh, rainbow stickers for you. Yeah. If anything, it's like better because at least like what SCP doing is like a little more morally charged in a positive direction than like, you know, the fucking Mars M&M's company being like, we changed the green M&M to be less misogynistic. But also, we're responsible for multiple deaths of slave labor in foreign companies where our factories are located. Like, like it's just fucking horrible and bleak. When the whole story filtered into the broader internet, it led to the large-scale harassment of the SCP Foundation wiki and its Facebook page. On the wiki, moderators began banning anyone who spoke negatively about the logo change, then banning anyone who argued they shouldn't ban people just for speaking negatively about the logo change, which turned into a massive feedback loop and a large number of bans. The SCP Facebook team, which was largely independent of the main SCP wiki, released a series of statements not approved by the SCP wiki, which just made the situation worse. Some users who supported the logo change organized counter-trolling attempts. They were not banned, despite being in violation of the same harassment rules as the people the original bans were attempting to stop. The whole flame war ended in mid-June. Some ban users got reinstated, the SCP wiki took more direct control of the Facebook page, and moderators reworked some of their policies. On certain SCP wiki pages, the logo is permanently in gay or trans pride colors. Which, like, you know, of course this happened. We got through, we got through, uh, you know... Uh, an episode and a half about a thing that started on 4chan. Inevitably, we were going to get to the and they hated gays part. But, you know, uh, to be fair, the 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 main the the actual administration of the SCP wiki was not they they were on the right side of history and it was it was just it was some bad actors uh who um were responsible for this. Uh also around this time, another thing that we should say which once again, something that was born on 4chan, inevitably we were going to get to this point. Um, around this time, there were also some situations where some writers got banned from the site for doing a little underage grooming type stuff. And, you know, like I said, of course, it's a bunch of like 40-year-old dudes writing weird fan fiction on a wiki page. Somebody was going to get groomed somewhere. Uh, so that happened. And as a result of it, they banned all these writers and they created an age limit restriction for the wiki. So they moved the age, uh, minimum age from 15 to 18 to be able to access the wiki, which is a shame because it's like a bunch of kids who just want to go on there and write some. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Dave, but like when I was a kid, certainly younger than 15, like I cut my teeth on like hanging out in forums and making music and posting it in music forums and writing stories and posting them in other forums and just, you know, making videos and posting those in other and like filmmaking forums. And don't get me wrong. Like I got fucking destroyed. I got roasted so hard. It was a formative point in my life where either you could say that like, it was a good thing that I, my skin was hardened 
by like getting all this feedback from a bunch of shitty internet guys and it actually made me like stronger and more able to handle criticism. Or you can say that it like emotionally broke me and like set a tone for the rest of my life that I have PTSD about criticism. Who knows? But I, you know, it's a shame that somebody who's, you know, 15 year old or younger uh, is deprived of that experience for for something that is no fault of their own because some guys did some shitty stuff that is fully on them. Like it's their responsibility. They're the ones that did it. It's not these kids fault. And yet they don't get to go onto this thing and write stories. It's just kind of kind of shitty. Yeah, it is. But also it makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's it's one of those unfortunate situations where you're like, at the end of the day, like, it's a liability for the people that run the site. And it's also like, yeah, I mean, maybe a, maybe a 15-year-old shouldn't be hanging out on this site with a bunch of adults, like, interacting with them. Like, maybe that's just, maybe that's just an inappropriate dynamic. In the year 2019, there was an enormous explosion of SCP fan projects on YouTube. Animated videos, narrated SCP articles, and gameplay from modded Minecraft games all brought the SCP Foundation to a new audience. One of the biggest products of this boom was 2020's SCP Overlord. Uh, before we take a little bit of a look at this, so this is a uh, a, a, sh- a short film based on the SCP. Uh, I keep struggling to know what to call it. IP, concept, franchise, whatever. We're not going to watch this entire thing because it's 34 minutes long um, and we've already watched it. Uh, and if you want to check it out, just go to YouTube and type SCP Overlord. Um, but I just want to say there's there's a bunch of short narrative films about SCP, which a lot of them are cool. There's also a ton of content on YouTube of just compilations of SCP stories being read. And if you're interested in checking out SCP, like this is kind of a great in to the to the universe because you can just throw on a three hour video of somebody just reading SCP stories almost in podcast format. Sometimes they're narrated with like different actors playing different characters and actual sound design. Sometimes it's literally just a person reading the stories. Um, It's a great way of just like throwing on a three hour video and hearing a bunch of SCP stories while you're working or whatever, or on a run or whatever, you know, taking the train or whatever. Uh, Although I would just say that like a lot of them are bad. Like a lot of the quality, like there's ones where it's like, grading to listen to because it's so bad like the 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 people who are reading are just bad at reading so you got to find the good ones but we're, we'll watch a little bit of scp overlord everything i'm about to tell you is classified under a level three security clearance so the movie starts with a kind of exposition oh shit the movie's fuck me you got SCP'd. Dave got, got SCP'd. So the movie the movie starts with uh, an exposition dump of a bunch of these GIs sitting in a room listening to uh, uh, some sort of officer in a in a in a leadership position giving them a debrief about this mission they're going to go on. They're going to go find this cult that supposedly is dangerous to the local community. Then we kind of get a scene of them, all these kind of like Blackwater-esque soldiers uh, wearing face masks, holding tactical gear, um, deploying out of helicopters and walking across fields. And as they move across the fields, uh, they find this large multi-pronged cross-like structure 
uh, lit on fire. One of the guys takes out a little digital camera and they snap a photo of it. And now we're getting a wide shot of a bunch of fog and, you know, 15 guys deploy out from the fog and in military fashion. Um, the front row take a knee as the two leader officers are kind of like looking out over this farmhouse. This is my favorite shot in the whole thing, I think. They look up and they see uh, 10 to 15 people just floating in midair above the house. Yeah, and this and this like SCP Overlord, like this came out, this came out a couple years ago, uh, 20, well, that's 2019, I think, 2020. So like this shot of these people just kind of like floating in the in midair it predated stranger things season four with 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 that same shot of the character max like floating up in the air and it predated um a game we're going to talk about later uh control which was based off of the scp concept um with a similar thing a similar gameplay mechanic in that game so it, it predated both of those things with this really cool visual of somebody just like floating in midair kind of like in a trance. I also really like in this short, like one of my favorite things about this lead up to in the beginning of it, I really like the cinematography uh, mechanic of shooting like aerial shots of them where it's almost kind of like in night vision or like all of the, all of the highlights are just blown out to almost white. So you can see a top down view of them advancing through this field and it's supposed to be an aerial shot, but it also looks kind of like a map in a video game. And it perfectly conveys the geography and the movement of the characters in a very kind of like clinical militaristic way. And I think it's really interesting. It's really interesting to just like, we want to show you that these characters are, are progressing forward and walking through this field and tactically and maneuvering around trees and things like that. And instead of showing like close-up shots of that happening, we want to like blow out the scope, make it seem much bigger and also really convey the tactical nature of it by showing these like top-down aerial views that almost look like a like a map in a in a game, you know, as that you that you watch that you use to navigate around a location. And now we've just watched a scene of all of the the like GI dudes kind of doing combat drills, search, seek and finds in the house to see if there's anybody there. And then they go upstairs and they find the leader of the cult with a bag over his head sitting on the floor in front of a 45. And he reaches forward to grab it and the, the main guy pops him twice in the chest. Um, the thing that I kind of like about this is it instantly, you know, we've talked a lot about how SCP stuff is like pseudo-fascistic and military porn. Um, And there's a lot of movies that are subconsciously that. Um, But the thing that I like about this short is how they introduce you to the world through Show, Don't Tell, where they're like, you know, instead of, I mean, yes, you get that they're combat guys by the fact that they're wearing combat gear and they have masks on and they're holding fucking rifles or whatever. But it's really fun um, to see them exercising military knowledge uh, in a way that most movies don't usually do. Um, it's it's so it's so speci- it's it's so um, uh, I, I feel like accurate is maybe a little bit of an exaggerated word, but like it's so um, 
detailed and dedicated to being accurate to the point where there's actually this big contingent of reaction videos on YouTube of actual Marines and other military service members watching it and like reacting to it and like saying, commenting on how accurate it is basically. Like there's, there's a ton of videos like that on YouTube that you can look up. Yeah. It's really, you know, from somebody who's obviously not in that world, it gives everything just an immediate grounding when you have these guys, even just the fact that like the shot where they walk out of the fog and you think it's like a cool, you know, action movie moment where it's like, these are our guys. We're going to be following them as they're doing cool stuff. But then they just like use a standard deployment and like the front five guys all take a knee, the back two guys spin around to cover the rear and the two, you know, highest ranking officers stand in the middle and like reconnoiter where they are. Like just that alone tells you that this is a well-oiled machine. These guys know what they're doing and that the people that have made the short either are ex-military or have really done the research to make it into a authentic, like you're saying, accurate representation of what a situation like this would be. Um, and yeah, they, they go through the house and they're they're finding different objects. There's a painting uh, that leads that looks like a, you know, a shot of down a hallway um, and then eventually later, one of the main GI guys is going to find a camera. Yeah, so we don't we don't need to watch any more of that, especially because like, I feel like it's kind of lost on the a listener. But uh, aside from what we already talked about, what did you what did you think about Overlord? Uh, it's very impressive. The production value is really cool. Um, it's very well written. Um, I like the fact that all the soldiers are anonymous, um, even though they have names. Um, it feels. And they have a very fam- familiarity. They have a they have a real sense of familiarity with each other. Um, it feels like you would want an SCP thing to feel, where it's not like there's a hero and he must go up against the unknown. It's very it's exactly what it should be: faceless, anonymous dudes acting in a cold, impersonal, militaristic fashion, investigating a situation that is otherworldly and trying to solve it. I think what. What's kind of interesting about SCP, like this, especially, but just the concept in general, which this kind of magnifies, is the concept of a workplace environment that involves strange or paranormal, otherworldly or high stakes situations and portraying the mundanity of working somewhere like that, where eventually that becomes sort of blasé to you. And I think that's done a lot in things. But I think the way that it's usually done is kind of similar. It's it's basically like the the that web series, the the Aperture Labs web series, whatever that was called, where it was like showing it was like a workplace. It was a web series that was like a workplace comedy about the scientists working at Aperture Labs, which is the company that creates the GLaDOS system, which is what the the game Portal is based on, like creating all these like crazy science fiction-y things and running experiments on on people and things like that. Or like the the office scenes from um f- uh what the fuck was that movie called? Um The Hell. That the the Drew Goddard movie about the oh Cabin in the Woods. Um the office scenes from that where there's this like there's this corporate uh there's this 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 company, this corporation that's in charge of like appeasing old gods to make sure that they don't destroy the world and so they run all these simultaneous rituals across the across the globe every year 
to do these ritual sacrifices to make sure that the old gods don't come back. And it's all run very bureaucratically. And it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of like, you know, white shirted um, office workers that are hanging, like walking around, like betting on who's going to die first and all this stuff. Like that's the way that I think it's usually depicted. And I don't dislike that, but I think this is a really interesting and different way of depicting that where it's not like, Oh, we're, we're working in a weird science fiction or paranormal uh, organization where crazy shit's happening with ghosts and monsters and shit like that. But we're so used to it and so jaded that we're just sitting around joking with each other. Like, it's not that. It's just literally the cold, clinical, like, um, grunt worker type thing where it's like, we. this is just our fucking job. Like, we just do this. We don't freak out about it. We just get our job done and move on. Like, I, I kind of like that. Currently sitting comfortably at over 14 million views, SCP Overlord is the more ambitious sequel to 2019's SCP Dollhouse, both posted on the Canadian YouTube channel Evan Royalty. Uh, yeah, so we won't, we won't watch any clips of this or whatever, but we we also watch Dollhouse. Would you would you recommend people watch that one as well? It feels it feels to me like working it out. It feels like it's okay. Uh but I feel like Overlord is really good. And this this sounds mean, but like Overlord's a real movie and Dollhouse is like a bunch of friends who obviously really like SCP trying to make an SCP thing. I would, I would once again agree. In a strange way, it's very similar to the earliest SCP stories from 4chan, when the Foundation's structure and purpose were kept deliberately vague. Its focus on the special forces-like mobile task force even brings back the military element that was lost in the transfer to the wiki. It's not dissimilar to the story of the American airman Finding 173 we brought up at the beginning, albeit executed with much more finesse. This was a great idea, since it allowed people to get the same hook that had been so popular in 2007, rather than throwing them directly into the deep end of Sarkic cults, XK scenarios, the O5 Council, and the larger moral implications of the Foundation's mission. Another part of Overlord's popularity was the filmmaker's background. Evan Royalty had previously made a number of movies with video game footage, Machinima. Their earliest SCP videos, First Contact and Ghost Town, were actually made in GTA 5. They had developed a fan base before they came out with the live-action films, and those people who knew them from their beginning videos provided this in Dollhouse, their first live-action film, with an initial bump of viewership to boost its popularity on YouTube. That's actually kind of like a side note, but it's something that I always kind of thought about and observed. The 2010s and late 2000s machinima YouTubers to live-action short film director's pipeline is very common, I think. You see so many of these people who got big making these machinima short films go on to make these like really well made um, action shorts uh, and then eventually maybe even feature films. And I think that part of the reason for that is because one of the biggest challenges to making a movie, aside from like money and financing stuff, like if you have that in the bag, aside from that, is not necessarily the idea it's not necessarily getting the equipment because, I mean, anymore even, you could make a fucking movie with a phone. But even even years ago, you could make a movie with a, you know, with a, uh, a $150 camera that had video functionality. Um, shooting outside to get good lighting, learning basic three-point lighting techniques and using just like cheap shop lights and shit like that. Like, it's not going to be the best in the world, but like... That's not the that's not the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge of making a movie, especially like a highly choreographed action film, 
is the is the logistics of blocking and planning out the shots and getting everything that you need and coordinating a team of people to make this thing where there's multiple actors and there's all this uh, choreographed movement and there are scenes where you're, you know, doing stunts and things like that. And I think that there's probably something to the fact that these people who spent hours upon hours upon hours essentially creating animatic storyboards with mach- with the machinima technology, like using modded game engines to make little movies, were probably well suited to just transfer that skill set over into live action filmmaking and being like, I already know how to plan out making a whole movie. All we need is just the cameras and the fucking people and we can just do this. Yeah, and there's like some big people that came out of that stuff too. Like didn't didn't maybe actually actually I might be confusing this. Didn't Kevin Tacheron, is that the guy who made the Mortal Kombat web series? Didn't he come out of that stuff? Or was he a part of the company Machinima? I think he might have been a part of the company Machinima. Never mind, never mind. But Machinima started out making Machinimas. That was the first that was what they originally did and then they they branched out and became a media a multimedia company, but they started out as a YouTube channel that made uh fan film machinimas. It also exposed the foundation to a new group, the gas mask and tank loving war gamers, including both the real soldiers and veterans of various countries and the armchair soldiers who enjoy the nerdier shooters like stalker Arma and escape from Tarkov. Admittedly, some of these already knew about the foundation, but the live action movies fill the void in this crowd's heart for stories about soldiers that weren't preachy, exaggerated or nationalistic. This was a story that filtered another genre, urban fantasy horror through the lens of military life, rather than using soldiers to make an argument or retread one-man army cliches. Especially in the case of SCP Dollhouse, Evan Royalty's mobile task forces were conducting the type of raid that an actual soldier would have heard about, if not actually done. Dollhouse and Overlord both heavily feature MTF soldiers breaking into secured locations to capture important people or steal intel, exactly the kind of things both foreign and local forces did during the global war on terror. It may not have been personal for most of Evan Royalty's core audience, but it was close enough to what they had heard of to feel authentic. And I I think that's a great point, like for better or worse, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but taking the mechanical tropes of military fiction, but sanitizing off any of the actual literal political commentary that that comes with, is a great way of basically the same as what we're talking about now. Like we, we both talked about the short film. We both enjoyed it. We both liked the mechanical elements of it. But if this had been a short film that was like fucking going into some vaguely Middle Eastern village and killing terrorists, like we wouldn't want to watch that. That would not be something we would want to like like or so it's like it's this weird way of like smuggling in military porn to people who the more nationalistic form of that would not be palatable for, for for better or worse. Beyond tactics, protagonists who are tough without being superhuman and creepy monsters, the appeal of these kinds of SCP videos extends to the fact that they're on major websites in an easy format. A lot of people aren't down to read web pages, and SCPs have just gotten longer as the wikis go on. Movies, narrated SCP videos, and animations give people who wouldn't otherwise go looking for SCPs an opportunity to find them and take in the story in as little as 10 minutes. In short, the market for paranormal stories on YouTube is bigger than the market for collaborative digital writing projects hosted on non-wiki wikis. Which, once again, I'll say, I said this last episode, once again, identical to QAnon and the way that it functioned and disseminated. Identical. 
it was a thing that was being generated in this small community and then taken and made mainstream by people making YouTube videos about it. Identical. The world of animated SCPs also blew up around 2019 and 2020, probably boosted by Overlord. The SCP Illustrated had been making animated videos about different SCPs since 2017, but in the year 2020 alone, three animated SCP channels that would quickly become massive broke onto the scene. SCP Animated, Tales from the Foundation, The Rubber, and SCP Explained, Story and Animation. Um, and we, we don't need to watch more than like a couple seconds of these, but just to give a sense of like what type of content we're talking about here. It's just literally this. It's just it's just reading the stories on on in a video. Yeah, it's just literally the text from the SCPs like pop up on screen, and then you know there's like stock footage in between that kind of gives it atmosphere. Yeah, and this has this has a million views. We're in the wrong line of work, bro. SCP Animated Tales from the Foundation is part of a larger network of YouTube channels called Newscape Studios, which produces a whole host of YouTube videos targeted primarily at kids which now includes cartoons, Fortnite gameplay, and started with the Minecraft SCP roleplay series, which has 228 episodes and a long-term plot. With all the new interest these animated SCP videos generate, there are some downsides. First of all, unlike some of the other SCP fan works, they tend to directly adapt SCPs and tales from the wiki, so any changes made in the animation are deliberately honing in on the territory of the original writers. In particular, the rubber is known for changing the specifics of SCPs and removing female and queer characters from adaptations of stories from the wiki. The other problem is the fact that multiple of these channels are created by bigger YouTube projects hopping on the new SCP bandwagon and making money from it. And I don't know if this became an issue or is an issue in this SCP world, but I know that this actually became a huge problem in the No Sleep subreddit community where in this exact same way, there's a there's a there's a massive cottage industry for just taking a big compilation of no sleep stories and recording them in voiceover and then slapping some like creepy picture on it and uploading that as a YouTube video. And that practice has been done for years and these YouTube channels have millions upon millions of followers and the views have million or the videos have millions upon millions of views. And finally, the authors of No Sleep Stories, like, got fed up with it, and they started demanding that people stop taking their stories and making them into YouTube videos. And they even did this thing where they, they, they struck for they, the, the, the No Sleep subreddit went on strike for, like, a week where they made it a private subreddit where nobody could enter except for the existing members so that people would stop stealing their stories and making them into YouTube videos. Um, I don't know if that similar thing happened with SCP, but it, when you think about it logically, it makes a lot of sense. You write a story, no, it's not copyrighted technically, but then some Yahoo just comes along, records themselves saying it, and makes thousands of dollars. The narrated SCP channels are less contentious. YouTube channel The Vulgan has been making audio versions of SCPs and Foundation Tales since 2012, and his rendition of the voices of SCP-049 has gotten so popular that he voiced the good doctor in SCP Containment Breach and a series of interview recordings on 049's official wiki page. The Exploring series is another particularly popular narrated SCP channel, though it's not just an SCP channel. It started in 2013 with a video about the movie Cube and has done series such as Exploring the Cthulhu Mythos, Exploring the Elder Scrolls, Exploring Celtic Mythology, and Exploring History, but Exploring the SCP Foundation is their most popular one by far. 
The channel has almost 900,000 subscribers and appears to be the work of one man with a lot of dedication to telling people about things he likes. In the past three years, the SCP Foundation has expanded to all sections of YouTube, from kids' YouTube to military YouTube to corporate YouTube to ASMR YouTube and beyond. Results are mixed, but YouTube was the jumping-off point that allowed the SCP Foundation to fully become a part of the Internet's collective unconscious. You can just put the SCP Foundation in things as a stock concept and people will get the idea. Which brings us to Control. Control is a game released in 2019, right as the YouTube boom was happening. It was made by Max Payne developers Remedy Entertainment and puts the players in the shoes of the newest director of the Federal Bureau of Control as they enter the oldest house and do battle with a paranormal entity known as Hiss. This was Remedy's first release after splitting from Microsoft in 2017, and it ties in with their previous Alan Wake series. The Federal Bureau of Control is fully a takeoff of the SCP Foundation, albeit one directly operated by the U.S. government rather than having the SCP Foundation's nebulous NGO status. And we'll watch a trailer for Control really quick and then talk about it a little bit. So here's the, the floating people in midair visual. Smart, savage, and batshit crazy, says IGN. An action game unlike any other from Games Radar. Dave Baker says, I ate an entire bucket of pretzels and fell asleep, and I didn't play it. <laughs> what if Christopher Nolan made an SCP game? Yeah, so I, I mean, this is this is once again law. I feel like I feel like we're batting uh, zero on clips that the listener can actually like understand or enjoy because this is just totally lost on them. It's just music; the vi- it's all in the visual. Um, but uh, before we talk about it a little bit, so yeah, so I mean, the, the trailer it's a it's a it's a third person uh, shooter with heavy story elements. Um, you are a character named Jesse, who's the new director of the of the Federal Bureau of Control. You're going through this massive headquarters, fighting this like weird ephemeral spirit creature who can possess people. Um, have you played this game? I think I know the answer to this, but have you played this game? No, I have not. But it looks really cool. Yeah. So Control. Uh, so as as it kind of said, uh, Remedy Entertainment. They started off developing Max Payne. So they were kind of like the pioneers in developing the boom of violent third person shooters that kind of uh, surfaced in the, in the mid two thousands. So like Max Payne came out and it spawned just like a whole genre of like mature third person shooters with like typically dark storylines. And they also created the bullet time mechanic, which is still used to this day. Um, where when you go to like fight people and shoot people, you can slow down the action and like take your time aiming and you can like jump through the air um, and be like floating, flying through the air in slow motion while you're aiming and shooting like three dudes. Um, They created that mechanic in gaming, which in and of itself was inspired by the matrix and like bullet time is just, it's just a, it's just a common mechanic of gaming now. Um, but they, when they, when they, when they went and they became independent, they started developing games that I would say are in like one are one of my favorite genre of video games, which is weird David Lynchian visual novels with light gameplay. Um, so the Alan Wake series, which is exactly what I'm talking about. It is a, is this paranormal, weird David Lynchian 
uh, walking simulator game where it's just essentially a story and you choose actions and you say, like, I want to do this and I want to do this. You make decisions and you're just playing through the story and then there's some light gameplay. And then control is basically them leveling up and being like, we're going to take we're going to take Max Payne and these like walking simulators and like meld them together and make a weird David Lynchian visual novel that also has a heavy third-person shooter gameplay mechanic to it. Um, and Control is great. I love Control. I would highly recommend playing it. Um, it is, like I said, it's just a very bizarre, sort of abstract, creepy, but also like avant-garde in a lot of ways game uh, that I would highly recommend. And the crazy thing is, is that it was all inspired by and created uh, in response to this small community of internet fiction writers. Um, it's they, they didn't directly do an SCP game. They kind of did the whole, like, what was it? Danger Duck or what, what, were, the, what were those weird, like... Destroyer Duck. Destroyer Duck. They did a thing where they were like, we're going to do a palette swap of SCP and, like, change all the names. But it's just SCP. Um, we're gonna we're gonna make a copyrightable SCP. Yeah, and it was it was game of the year I think in 2019 or maybe 2020. It's a great game, and it's crazy to me that it came from this thing. Control differs from the SCP universe in that it is a general explanation for where all the paranormal stuff comes from. Altered world events, controls equivalent to the SCP Foundation's anomalies, are manifestations of the human collective unconscious, which in turn can generate physical paranormal artifacts called objects of power. This is all connected to a mysterious entity called the Borg, which dwells in the astral plane. The reason the game is so similar to the SCP Foundation is that the developers wanted to make a paranormal story based in an ordinary setting and wanted the mundane elements of an office job at a massive organization to contrast with the strangeness found within. The developers found the SCP Foundation to be a good starting point for that, but filtered through Stanley Kubrick movies and Cold War spy drama. Along with the web series, The Backrooms, Control represents a new stage in the SCP Foundation's existence, as it influences later projects, influencing things outside of it as well as drawing people in. So let's get into the spirit of the thing and play with the format. Anomaly Log, 16th Entry, Internet Mythology, Threat Assessment, Low, Possible Damage, Wasted Time, Emotional Stress, Hostile Human-to-Human -human Interactions, Written 05170166. The entity, codenamed Internet Mythology, is a self-replicating pattern of fictional concepts related to an organization referred to as the SCP Foundation, which exists to either study the paranormal or keep it secret from the public. Specifics from the accounts of exposed individuals vary. The entity demonstrates the ability to force those exposed to it to perpetuate the pattern. Observation of historical records show it has grown exponentially since its first recorded instance in the old chronology year of 2007, constantly mutating and migrating to multiple different forms of media. It demonstrates a remarkable adaptability to different times and cultures, and is able to generate overarching support structures based on other societal institutions to ensure its survival. Some subjects exposed to it, these subjects are designated hypersusceptible, will become deeply emotionally invested in the pattern and perpetuate it using their preferred forms of media. Hypersusceptible subjects will also spend large quantities of time observing different forms of the pattern and discussing it with other exposed individuals. Research suggests this is an altered form of the phenomena described in the sixth entry, the concept of fandom. 
The pattern appears to be focused at a single hub point, designated the center of mass. The form branches based on the hypersusceptible subjects propagating it into new formats, translation of pattern elements into other languages, facilitating major mutations, or having hostile interpersonal relations. As of the present time, none of these have resulted in a second center of mass size of the original, but the observation growth rate remains strong. Conclusion, mildly significant. Millions of idea patterns try and form every year. This one just happened to get really lucky. Besides, bad things seem to happen to people who get too cavalier with things they don't understand. That's all well and good, but where are we going to file this? Just put it in storage, somewhere between Trent Reznor and the best weed ever. So Dave, we've walked through the history of the SCP Foundation. We've read a bunch of stories. We've watched the short films. We've looked at the games. We've seen the behind-the-scenes wiki-level drama. What are your final thoughts on the organization that is dedicated to securing, controlling, and protecting? Is that what, it's, is that what it is? I think so, yeah. Uh, I would say my final thoughts are, one, uh, I was not that familiar with this before we started. Like, I knew vaguely that it existed, but I was not, like, deep in it. And uh, after this, I totally am. I'm way fucking into it. Um, I love things like the X-Files and the BPRD, and I love weird military bullshit too, you know? Um, I'm, I'm into it. I'm way, way into it. Um, I also really want to fucking play that game now. Like, I, I, I did not know that that game existed, um, and it the visuals of it look really fucking cool. Oh, you mean SCP-087, the staircase game? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, definitely that. Um, but having said all those positive things, it still gives me a little concern that there's just an entire generation of people that are like priming themselves to be involved in pseudo-fascistic us versus them thought. And as you have said multiple times, not that I think that this SCP collaborative creative exercise, which literally has hurt no one, is in any way significantly involved in what happened with QAnon or whatever the next version of that idea is. Like they've already, you know, Germany had their version of QAnon relatively recently, the Reichsburger, where they people were trying to overthrow the German government based on a conspiracy theory, all propagated through the internet and disseminated through this group collaborative open source fear mongering. And there's a part of me that's just like, this is so cool and I love everything about this. And there's another part of me that's like, and this is going to be our undoing. Like, not necessarily SCP, but just this idea of bringing this many people together and having them become invested in an identity and building the identity together is just how bad shit happens. Like, just real bad shit happens when when there's that amount of focus on, on these subjects. And I don't even mean this about this. I think this is a purely benign, positive thing. Like, no, nobody got hurt from this other than a couple people got stalked and a couple people got groomed. And like, but that's just life, right? Like, there's whenever you get people together, there's going to be frictions. Um, and I'm not excusing that. It sucks. It's a tragedy. It's just statistically going to happen. And the best you can do is like put an end to it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's not like they fostered that environment. They actively worked against it. Um and it's, you know, I want to be somebody who looks at this and sees the positives of human ingenuity and the positives of getting together with people and collaboratively exercising and really kind of, yeah, we're going to fucking make stuff together and we're all going to have 
equal say in it and you know it's not going to be owned by some giant corporation and this is great but i also just think i don't know that humans are on a purely biological level engineered to interact with this amount of other human you know what i mean and when you have exchanges of ideas on this level it's very difficult to have it not immediately just devolve into our worst instincts and 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 have the empathy completely stricken from it yeah, I, and I think I think it already has been our undoing uh, in 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 the macro, not SCP specifically, but what SCP represents. While very cool, and I I like it, and I think that it's in and of itself harmless and just creative stories. I think that over the last 30, 40 years, our our minds have just been like fucking Swiss cheesed by the concept of fandom and the blurring of the lines between like what's real and what's not real when it comes down to the fact that a kayfabe fictional organization dedicated to tracking and cataloging paranormal creatures is functionally identical to any conspiracy theory that you could come up with as long as enough people believe it to be true. And I think that because we've watched so many movies where the crazy conspiracy thing is the truth and the people who seem crazy were right all along, many people just think in that way now. And I think that that's why you see that's why that there's this there's that's that's why there's this identical direct parallel between SCP and QAnon that I've pointed out multiple times in this episode is because they're functionally identical in terms of what they are. It's just that one happened to be playing in a certain sandbox that was like real life things that affected reality. Um, but conceptually, they're identical. And the idea of people being slowly trained to think in those ways has potentially negative repercussions that we can't even really fathom directly. Um, but that being said, uh, I think the really cool thing about SCP is – I mean, I love character-driven things. I love character-driven uh, storytelling, and I, 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 I'm going to say I probably prefer it. I really like developing characters and reading about characters. I think many people do, um, but I think that there is a there is a charm and a and a and and in certain ways a tactical advantage to this very kind of like objective, non-character-based way of telling a story that makes it kind of like shark jump proof, you know? Like you can see this going on forever and never really getting stale or never going, I mean, it can go too far as we saw during the LOL Foundation period where they started making it character-based. And then once you make it character-based, then people are like, you have half people being like, ah, I kind of don't like these characters. And the other half being like, I do like these characters, but like they've gone to, they're, they're, they're too over the top. They've become character, you know, whereas like, the way of telling these stories is agnostic to a style, really. It's it's not about the style. It's about the convey. It's a medium that conveys ideas. And so because of that, you could see SCP just living on forever and never getting stale or boring or or um, jumping the shark in the way that long running TV shows do or long running uh movie franchises do or even like long running comics do if if they, if they don't switch up the storylines um it's kind of like it's kind of 
future-proofed against that, which I think is really interesting. And though I would say I prefer story-based storytelling or uh, narr- uh, character-based storytelling, I find this really fascinating and really appealing in that it is sort of like it's one of the biggest, most popular types of storytelling that is not character-based and doesn't have characters. Yeah, I. it's funny because I almost feel like the idea of this is so American. You know, we love us versus them narratives. We love military porn. We love power fantasies and displays of competency. But the idea of not having a central focus figure feels very either European or Asian to me, where it's not about a single person. It's about the collective. Um, and that's an interesting tension, which actually makes it feel global. You know what I mean? Like the S because of that back and forth, it makes the world feel like it's the tableau, not we're going to New Mexico. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I, 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 I like that a lot. You know, like how many movies, how many American movies with a significant budget are produced in the style of like something like Hedy Akiano's, uh, fucking Shin Godzilla where there is no protagonist you're just following the bureaucracy of trying to deal with Godzilla like that's I loved that movie and I loved that approach to it and that movie would just not get made today and even if it did get made today in America it would not get made with unknown actors you know it'd be like Contagion where every bit every bit part is Matt Damoned up you know and so even people who are are supposed to appear unimportant and quotidian have an increased sense of narrative uh, potency because they're played by people who play protagonists. And as a side note, I saw, I love Shin Godzilla, and I saw the LA premiere of it with the entire American voice cast of Dragon Ball Super and Grant Imahara, RIP. Um, but yeah, and I, I, and also, it's very interesting that what on its surface appears to be a run-of-the-mill series of creepypastas when you dig a little bit deeper, you end up realizing was a bunch of kids in the early 2000s traumatized by 9-11 and coping with it by writing stories. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a somewhat hopeful-ish, bleak. I mean, it's still bleak, but it's slightly more hopeful than what I was saying. Okay, Dave. So we've gone through this this epic story of this internet uh, media empire um, slash sort of homegrown internet narrative world. But the thing that is interesting is I was reading Andrew's journals and I, I discovered something. The Mystery Treehouse has its own version of the SCP paranormal containment unit. There, there's there's, a, there's a, a warehouse where you and Andrew and your grandpas before you kept all of the uh, the paranormal and supernatural oddities that you found in your journeys. And I discovered this and I looked it up and there's actually a something that you have. I don't know why I don't know if you I don't know why you never told me this. I guess maybe it just didn't come up. But uh there's something called the the uh the Mystery Treehouse Extra Dimensional Catalog and it's a cataloging of all of the paranormal oddities that you found in your adventures. And I actually curated a couple of those that we're going to read right now. And we're just going to read those and react to them. So let's do that right now. Sounds great. Also, I just want to say for the record, still makes me a little comfortable that you're 
digging through Andrew's journals, but it's fine. Whatever. I guess it's not really a act of privacy violation. The dude's fucking dead. So it, I mean, it's it became a it became a. Uh, uh, an act of necessity at some point because you just dumped all of these responsibilities on me that I had zero clue or context for like how to do, like navigate them. Whenever I moved in here, you just immediately dumped all of like the bills and like the 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 bookkeeping for the business. So I like I literally just had to read these journals in order to know how to fucking do any of this shit. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're gonna do that, and each of these. Each of these, um, each of these catalog entries were written by one of the Mystery Treehouse Extra Dimensional Society's lab assistants. So we're gonna we're gonna read the story and we're gonna tell you which lab assistant wrote it, and then we're just gonna react to them and say, you know, see what what we think about these stories, how well how well they capture these real life things that are actually real that you have actually encountered in in your journeys. Um, so this next this first one. This is a uh, Mystery Treehouse Extra Dimensional Catalog entry number six two five by Jay Bard. I didn't know. I didn't know we had them on the on the payroll. Yeah, yeah. Jay Jay Bard uh, works with us often. They're a stalwart supporter, listener of the show, and one time former lab assistant. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know they listen to the show, but I didn't know that they were working for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they well, they don't they don't currently they did uh, previously during Andrew's tenure. That's probably why. Yeah, I guess maybe the the um, the post traumatic stress disorder of wrangling a bunch of like extra dimensional creatures and oddities maybe got to them, and they had to they had to retire early. Uh, so yeah, this is this is uh, Mystery Treehouse Extra Dimensional Catalog Number Six Two Five. Special containment procedure, item MTEC-625 must be kept in a plexiglass container at all times. When personnel enter MTEC-625's container, no fewer than two personnel with level 16 clearance can be present. One must be outside the entire time ensuring the doors stay closed, while the other is inside with the MTEC-625. Both personnel must double check the door is completely locked and that MTEC-625 is still in the container before leaving the area. Description. Moved to MTEC in 1985, it is unclear when MTEC-625 first appeared on Earth. It is likely that it spent much of its time here camouflaged as people or objects as it is able to shapeshift into anything at will. It's considered very lucky that MTEC-65 was caught as it was stuck in a shapeshifting mix-up where it had a human head on a TV, walking on duck legs and feet. It is believed that no one has seen its true form, but it spends most of its time as a small, amorphous yellow blob. It appears docile, but specific stressors will cause it to go on a killing rampage. This is why only soft objects are allowed in its containment as it seems to have no long-term memory and can only shift into something it can currently see or has seen within the last six hours. MTEC has tested MTEC-65 extensively to determine the length of its memory. Please note, its stressors include, but are not limited to, vegetables of any kind, pineapple, mushy foods, true crime podcasts and TV shows, Art it deems ugly, it's best to just keep all art away, as MTEC has not been able to figure out definitely what art it deems ugly without potential harm being caused to those studying it. It has been known when stressed to shift swiftly into something that can easily turn into a weapon, despite not having a long memory. It is able to determine what items would cause the most harm in the shortest amount of time rapidly. It's unclear how it determines this, only that it can do so in less than a minute and can kill just as quickly. 
MTEC 625 is monitored via video surveillance 24 seven. Please check the containment center before entering. If you do not see it in its amorphous blob form, please check the surveillance footage via your table to check what it has shapeshifted into. Under no circumstances, enter the containment area before locating MTEC 625, otherwise it will escape. It has escaped 15 times since it was brought to MTEC, and luckily each time it has been trapped and returned to its containment facility before it was able to exit the MTEC compound. Warning, under no circumstances is MTEC Hillsmer allowed anywhere near MTEC-625. He keeps trying to fornicate with it, and we're unsure if he's successful, if this will result in birth or replication from either of them. Yeah, uh, I was curious if Jay Bard was going to bring up the whole fornication-Hillsmer dynamic. Uh, I'd be lying if I said that those memories have left my skull. That was that was a brutal time. That was a brutal time. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm reeling at the, I, I'm reeling at the fact that Hillsmer is one of the MTEC cataloged items. That's a whole that's a whole new status quo of canon. Well, the <laughs> most of them aren't conscious. You know, they're not sentient in the way that Hillsmer is, uh, which is the reason why we took pity on him and let him be our roommate for forever and a day. Mostly because he promised to pay uh, rent, and he fucking has never done that. So you know. But most of these things, they, you know, they don't, they're things. They're not, they're not living beings. We would never imprison a living being, you know, that that's weird. Well, so, so what, what do you think about, what do you think about MTEC 625? The, you know, just. Uh, I think, you know, there's two ways to evaluate these. One is kind of a fidelity towards the tone of the original SCP Foundation entries. And one is seeing how well the lab assistants meld the SCP Foundation ideas with mystery treehouse ideas and and the idea that it's a shape-shifting blob that has it's maybe like most common form is a tv set with human with a human head and duck feet is really good like that that to me feels very mystery treehouse um because i lived it and it was very mystery treehouse but you know what i mean like uh well i just i just love the idea that like this thing has just been living in the mystery treehouse for years and we were just sitting there one day and then just a fucking it just glitched out and then just there was a tv with a human head and like feet and we were just like what the fuck <laughs> and we and then we were just like oh shit you know one of the recurring themes in in the mystery treehouse is that you and i watch a lot of tv or the tv is always on somebody's always watching tv and somebody always comes into the apartment and it's like the TV ha plays into the narrative in some way. And so it's really funny that that maybe for an extended period of time, the TV wasn't the TV and the TV was this <laughs> creature. I kind of love the idea that like during that time, like it decided to replace the TV. So for like years, it was just sitting there, shape shifted into the TV, hiding out. And that entire time, it was just creating new shows that didn't exist. Like it wasn't actually like, projecting like cable tv to us it was just generating content <laughs> it was the whole time it was uh it was like siphoning off uh little bits of like conversation between andrew and i where we would talk about different episodes of uh of fucking bacon and legs and it would like recreate the bacon and legs episodes from scratch of what what it thought it was and so when we would sit down and watch old Bacon and Legs episodes, we'd be like, oh, this is a lot better than I remember it because it's just not Bacon and Legs. Yeah, or just like there was like a show that we were watching that it was just making up for like years and we were like really invested in it. And we find out we're just like, oh, like 
I was really, I really wanted to know what was going to happen at the end of season two of Bort Bop and Sleeb. I was really invested in that, in that plot line where Bort Bop was going through a divorce and Sleeb was helping him through it, but secretly trying to like, you know, hook up with him. <laughs> Sleeb, man. You know, they, they definitely earned that title of you'd never trust a Sleeb. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even I don't even know if that's racist or not, but it's definitely like I didn't, I'm not the one who. Came yeah, up I know. With I, I'm, I'm just saying, saying. I'm just saying. It's 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 a well known stereotype. I just don't know how. I like I don't know. Like it feels like one of those things where it's fine to say right now, but maybe in like two years it's gonna be like, oh shit! Like we got to go back yeah, and delete yeah, that episode. Come, this video clip of me being like, you never trust a sleeve is gonna come back and it's gonna get us canceled. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I did not think through if there was like a rating system for these or whatever. That's not that has not been planned. So I, I don't know. I don't know. How to, I don't know how to wrap up the story. I feel like it's good. I feel like there are either ones that are good or like, oh, I remember that that interaction. And uh, I've chosen not to dwell on it too much because it, it didn't really it wasn't all that great. But I remember this one and it was a good adventure. Yeah. Um, this next one is MC, uh, MTEC number 415. Uh, this is, this is a short and sweet one, or maybe it's not sweet. I haven't read it. So maybe, maybe it's sour. I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's by, uh, I don't know this person's name cause they didn't say it, but they're the, the name on their email is just J Greg, JR junior Greg, JR Greg or junior Greg. I doubt that's their actual name or maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, but that's all the information we have here. We're going to get an email from Greg Sr. And they're like, how could you fucking let my 10-year-old be emailing you? <laughs> uh, but yeah, J- either J.R. Greg or Junior Greg, if that is your real name. This is uh, M- MTEC number 415. Special containment procedures. Item MTEC 415 is to be kept locked in a special mirror-lined wood box built by the intergalactic shaman Mastufomen, whose only key was destroyed after item MTEC-415 was forced inside the box. Somehow the box keeps MTEC-415 in an inactive state while inside. Description. Move to unknown treehouse location April 2022. Item MTEC-415 is also known as one... Oh, what, what the fuck? Is also known as one Spandrew Spice's left eyeball? Removed after said eyeball was possessed by an evil intergalactic space demon, has the ability to control the mind and body of any sentient being alive or dead, can emit a powerful laser beam from its retina and poison gas from its optic nerve tentacles. All further information redacted. I feel like this is one of those classic, uh, those classic treehouse assistant uh, getting a couple cases backwards because I don't believe that Spandrew Spice has ever had a left eye. As far as I know, I've never had a left eye. I've always had a an endless black void where my left eye would be. Yeah, and you were just born that way, right? Yeah. And up until recently, I just was like, eh, I just I guess I just have this endless black void where my left eye should be. Uh kind of creeps people out, so I wear an eye patch. I mean, that's one of the things that we bonded over when you first came to the Mystery Treehouse is uh, to cheer me up after Andrew died. You and I went on a coquettish uh, shopping montage, you know. Of, D- different uh, eye patches? Eye patch, eye patch shopping, you know. And I, I was sitting there grumpy, sad, sullen. And then you'd come out wearing a different eye patch pose. Yeah. And, and I won't like, do that. 
Life be hard to handle Like a flame that burns a candle And a candle reach a flame Oh yeah, well, well, you I'm just coming out with like a, a fucking eye patch with like sequined a sequin border on it and like rhinestones. And there was one where you had an eye patch that had a fake eye built into it. So you flipped up the eye patch and a googly eye like. Yeah. And you were like, and that was the point where you turned around and you were like a little smile cracked over your face. And I was like, and I, and the, and everyone that was watching this happen, people who were standing around were like, he's getting him. He's getting him. Yeah. And then, and then the the soundtrack started to merge from who who is that song? I, I know that song. But Hall and Oates. Oh, Hall and Oates. That's right. It it started to merge from Hall and Oates into Wham's Last Christmas. So it's like the lyrics lyrics of Last Last Christmas, but grafted onto Hall and Oates. <laughs> Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. <laughs> You gave it away. Whoa. This <laughs> Christmas. Save me from tears. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a, that was a yeah, great day. Yeah, I remember day. that. That was a great that was day. A good, that was a good day. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, according to this, according to this MTEC entry, my left eye is like a sentient being that is cape, kept locked in a, in a impenetrable box that was, that was uh, cursed by a space shaman. I mean, maybe that's just what happens in New York, where you're from. Yeah, like maybe. like when you you're issued a birth certificate and they cut they cut the umbilical cord. You just you have your left eye extracted and whisked away by a space shaman. Well, I mean, it could you know we could it could fit in because you know on the news when they had that whole thing and like uh, then because wasn't there like a whole thing with. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I, I think yeah, yeah, I think that is what happened. Hopefully, it doesn't have implications. Uh, that was it. That was it. That was the whole story. It was a, that was like I said, it was a short, short and sweet. I, I'm gonna say sweet and sour. Yeah, yeah, it was a sweet and sour sauce to that. Yeah. One. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I liked it. Uh, I'm not sure if it fits in. I'm not sure it's accurate, but uh, I definitely like it. I, I I like I I think the idea of a sentient eyeball being kept in an impenetrable box is. It's a it's a pretty creepy idea. I do too. I'm just a little concerned that if it is true and that's your eyeball, is there a little sentient bacteria guys in your head from this? That's that's what's because I don't want to die in the middle of the night. So it's a little. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. I mean, aside from the standalone creepiness of the story, I'm hoping that this doesn't have larger implications for just our actual direct lives. What was the name of the shaman again? Uh, Nastufoman. Nastufoman. Hmm. That does ring a bell. That or might Nastufoman. be accurate. Nastufoman. Yeah, that does ring a bell. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't remember. I was I was like a baby. Wait a minute. Wait, if, if I was a baby and then you remember it, how does that work? You think that you only remember... Are you aware of who, of who Beethoven is? Like, come on. Who? <laughs> the delightful Ber- St. Bernard who gets into zany hijinks? Yes, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. All right. Well, so this next one is uh, this is MTEC 142 by Donna Milligan. Special containment procedures. Item MTEC 142 is to be kept in a crystal chalice draped in purple silk, topped with the finest shining silver, positioned under a skylight in a perfectly round room. MTEC 142 is rendered inert by direct sunlight. The silk must be perfectly clean and the silver free of tarnish. 
Should the quality of any of the containment finery drop, MTEC-142 will become embarrassed and burst the eyeballs of anyone within a mile radius, unless they're kept in an impenetrable box, blessed by a shaman. The silk is to be changed weekly and the silver polished daily under the noonday sun. If all items are not in place and in pristine condition before the sun moves out of position, MTEC-142 begins to pour its raising light, destroying everything in its chamber instantly. No object can be left behind, nothing it can bounce light off of. If any of its light manages to escape the container, it will corrupt all light. Description. Move to Site 67, 1481. Little is known about item number MTEC-142's origins. The chalice it rests in is marked with swirling symbols that might be its language. Perhaps an incantation to hold it there. Any who have sought to study it have been driven to madness, tearing the flesh from their very bones. MTEC-142 is vain and loathsome. No adornment of any kind is to be worn during maintenance procedures. It superheats any finery to liquid. Should the adornment not be deliquescent, it will burn to ash in seconds. Neither is pleasant for the unfortunate wearer. Echoes of dead stars roar from the chamber at every hour on the hour. A chimney of cacophony screaming for the sky, MTEC-142 hungers for a thing as yet unknown to man. Into it. Into it. I think I think uh, in terms of fitting into the cold, sterile, kind of mechanical approach that SCP usually presents objects in, this one is a little shaky because sometimes it does that and sometimes it's a little bit more prosaic. But I love it. Way into... I love... I love Lovecraftian kind of just unknowable, weird, oh, the motivation is something the human mind cannot comprehend uh, as a, a kind of an archetype for, for story and conflict generation. I, I, I really enjoy that stuff. Um, less enjoy Lovecraft's racism, not as cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's an episode coming on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I really liked this one. What did you think? Yeah, I like... So what you're talking about, the sort of Lovecraftian, eldritch, unknowable, cosmic horror part of it, I like that it's that mixed with this almost, it's like, it's that married to this almost kind of funny concept of it being like incredibly vain, that it needs the like finest silks. And if it's like slightly dirty or, or, or not perfect, it just like throws a tantrum and fucking murders everybody. I kind of love that that its motivations are very like vain. Um, that's 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 funny, but also creepy because of it. Because it's like the just it, like the creepiness of this like weird eldritch horror that's like has these like human like vanity uh, yeah, aspects if, to if it. If memory recalls, uh, we have to have specific attendants that are hired to clean its room, and they have to be like ex models basically, because it does if you know if the person isn't physically appealing enough it feels underappreciated and they just fucking evaporate yeah which i i didn't know that and i just walked in there one day and nothing happened and i was i was fine (laughs) yeah yeah uh your head got really big after that and uh i'm not i i i i firmly believe if i went into that room i would be also left alone but i'm not gonna chance it yeah it's like that's the thing is like we both would be okay but i just like sort of I just like blundered in there like completely unawares whereas like you you have like you're just you're you're not confident enough to like risk it though no I'm never I'm never gonna go in there no that's not that's not a risk I need to take you don't want to confront the reality of that yeah and I and I, so that's cool but I also there's almost like a secondary part of this where the idea that if when it 
when it exudes this light, if the light is able to touch the light in the world, it will just like infect and destroy all light. That's that's genuinely disturbing and creepy. Just that one little part of it was is almost like worth that little part is almost worth the whole story. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, this one this one is really cool. I like this one a lot. Um, and then this this final one is actually by Louis Paggi, who is the writer of the SCP series. Um, Louis Paggi, he uh, he wrote the SCP episodes. Um, we worked with him on developing it out, and uh, he put all of this crazy amount of research into the episode. And this is his MTEC entry. MTEC 899, containment class, keep away from Hillsmer. Special containment procedures. MTEC 899 is to be kept under 24-7 mock occupation by mobile task force G46, house sitters, quote unquote. Agents are under order to scream obscenities at any civilian that crosses the property line of MTEC 899 lot and discharge rounds in the general direction of the trespasser. G46 agents are issued a 12-gauge double-barrel shotgun for this purpose to maintain the cover of civilian occupancy. Description. MTEC-899 is a two-story house composed of wood and concrete located on a 4.5-kilometer plot of land in Redacted County, Ohio. MTEC-899's design and layout suggests construction in the second half of the 20th century. MTEC-899's size and layout periodically changes. No movement has been observed during this process. The object moves directly from one configuration to the other. Testing has demonstrated incidents of MTEC-899 reassigning itself decrease in correlation to time continuously occupied by humans. Extensive exploration has demonstrated a number of recurring features of MTEC-899 configurations. 1. MTEC-899 can manifest complete books, films, and other creative works in locations they would be expected in an occupied house. All works appear to be original. No authors, publishers, and copyright information listed can be linked to extant persons or groups. And there's a footnote there. Two. There is no observable limit to the number of sub-basements MTEC-899 can generate. All attempts to locate the lowest floor in the building have found staircases leading to deeper basements. 3. Sub-basements appear to be made out of manually cut sandstone and feature carved graffiti in both Latin and Basque language. The majority of phrases references the joys of domestic life, interpersonal feuds, and sexual activity. 4. Newly created objects exhibit characteristics of wear and tear appropriate to the apparent age of the new house. Footnote 1. Examples recorded include fantasy novels from the Journey to the Lands of Percunus series, historical epic film The Flag of Gale, and PCCD-ROM game TileQuest. MTEC-899's existence was first noted by MTEC in 1996, when it was reported as the last known location of Redacted by her neighbors. County authorities preparing to conduct a search of the area were unable to contact the property's owner. Later investigation would reveal no available records relating to the house's construction or sale. A search and rescue team sent to investigate MTEC-899's interior experienced three fatalities due to the anomalous properties of the site. One, redacted expired due to blunt force trauma to the head after falling 10 meters down a staircase that extended while he was descending it. Two, redacted suffocated due to being trapped inside a wall. Three, redacted was bisected by a bookcase materializing inside of her. MTEC operatives in Ohio administered Class B amnestics to the population of Redacted County. All records of the search and rescue effort pertaining to MTEC 899 were destroyed, and an alternative account of Redacted's disappearance was planted by MTEC. 
Agents additionally fabricated deeds giving ownership of the property to undercover MTEC agents in order to facilitate continued research of MTEC 899. Yeah, I'm into I'm into this. This is four for four. This is I think this is really good, too. What do you I mean? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I love this one. It's funny because it it almost kind of the joke we were doing about the about the other one, the whole like generating like original TV shows to show us like this one actually had that in it. And I, I have I haven't read I haven't read this yet. We, neither of us have read this yet, so that was a total coincidence. What was the What was the name of the middle like the movie the something Gale? What was the What was the title of the movie? It was uh, It was a fantasy novel series called Journeys to the Land of Percunus, a historical epic fa- film called The Flag of the Gale, and a PC CD ROM game called Tile Quest. Flag of the Gale, man! I want to see Flag of the Gale. I wonder how hard it is to track down a copy of that. I mean, you have to go into the house. You have to go into 899 in Ohio. I, I love this. I mean, you, you know this. My, like, favorite novel is fucking House of Leaves. And uh, this has a very similar vibe to it. Uh, yeah, I, I love whenever, like, locations are given, like, not necessarily sentience. Because it's not guaranteed that it's sentient. But when, when, when locations are given agency and, like, like House of Leaves or... Uh, what is his what is his name in in uh doom patrol um yeah danny the street just the idea of a location like having uh human agency is just really interesting to me so i and I, yeah and i love this idea that like the house shifts and changes and it generates like books and movies and people have to live in it or else it'll like change and like escape i guess basically and like like so you just have to have people like living in it and like playing house 24 7 to like that that's the containment procedure is just living in it that's really interesting like you like in order to con- in order to Im- like contain it like imprison it in the same way that you might put something else in a cell you have to imprison yourself inside of it that's really cool i love that but yeah that there we go that the, we 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 unearthed a couple uh, entries from the Mystery Treehouse Extra Dimensional Catalog. I think they were all really fascinating, really, really well written. Uh, thank you so much, Mystery Treehouse Extra Dimensional Catalog Lab Assistants, for putting those reports together. Um, and that's it. That's the SCP fucking series. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com where you can find my comics or you can find my comics in any uh, bookstore or comic book store. Uh, you can also find me on the socials at xdavebakerx. Spandrew, where can people find you? You can find me locked in my cell, Spandrew Spice, SCP-043 or whatever the fuck I said last time. My cool guy with an eye patch. The power of being cool, still being observed, waiting in the in the belly of the depths of the SCP Foundation building for my time to escape and get my revenge. And uh, you can't find me on social media because I don't use social media. But if you want to pay your respects to the dear beloved Prophet Price, you can go to his website, dapricerights.com, and get his book, Deadbolt A Private Eye. If you want to follow us on social media, you can go to the Facebook page, Deep Cuts Podcast. Or you can join our Facebook group, Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. We make memes, talk about the show, hang out. You can also join our Bitly Discord server, not Bitly server, uh, by going to bitly.com slash Discord. We talk about the show, we make memes, we hang out, we play games, we talk about other stuff. For some reason, earlier today, there was a debate about whether hot dogs should be packaged in jars or plastic wrappers. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. Or you can get some merch by going to our website, deepcutspod.com, clicking on the shop and getting hats and shirts and all that kind of stuff. Or you can get our Junior Sleuth, Mystery Treehouse Junior Sleuth shoulder patch, which is cool and drawn by Dave. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.